It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. For the first time ever, the legendary Monterey Jazz Festival in California is going digital. This year would have been the 63rd annual festival, but it, like so many others, have been sidelined due to a worldwide pandemic. But in true performance fashion, the show must go on, and this time in a mostly virtual form. In this episode, we will explore the Monterey Jazz Festival with its artistic director, Tim Jackson. Tim, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Alan. Thank you for the invitation. You know, I, I would like to take a look at uh, your plans for the presentation of the 2020 version of the festival. But first, uh, what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about yourself and the rich history of what has become certainly one of the most respected and the longest continuously running festivals of jazz in the world. So tell us a little bit about you. Right now, as I understand, you are the artistic director of the Monterey Jazz Festival. You've been with it for a while. But are you also concurrently still uh, with the Coombwa Jazz Center in Santa Cruz? I am, yes. I'm the uh, artistic director also at Coombwa Jazz in Santa Cruz, which is an organization that I co-founded uh, back in 1975. So I have been with the organization uh, since then. And then I have been with the Monterey Jazz Festival uh, as well since 1991. So almost 30 years I started out as the general manager, which essentially was a combination of being executive director and artistic director. And then uh, about 10 years ago, moved into strictly an artistic director mold as the organization, both organizations got uh, to a point, uh, to a size that it, we just needed to have more bodies involved. So I got lucky. I got to stay with the artistic side, which is the most fun. Your background in music started when you were what I believe in the seventh or eighth grade and you started picking up certain instruments like the uh, guitar and the bass but then later a saxophone yeah I, I started with a little bit of guitar in elementary school and then switched over to the uh, bass in uh, high school and then uh, when I got out of high school I moved over to the flute one of the few good things about the pandemic is that uh, while I'm working from home I, I get some time to practice every day, which I haven't been able to do for years. So I'm enjoying that. Uh, not currently at the moment because there really are obviously there's no gigs out there, but still go out and work professionally when I can and uh, try and keep my keep my hat in the ring for performing music as well. What was the motivating factor that moved you to the business side of music? I guess I would say I'm I'm a, a good solid flute player, but a pro, I'm not Hubert Laws and was never going to be, and and so I think I probably just saw more opportunity, and as time went on, the ability to make a bigger difference in my community in working on the administrative and artistic side with Kuwumba. I found that uh, I enjoyed doing that. It was fairly good at it and was still able to play music on the side still not having to try and make a living at it but still as i do to this day still go out and play with friends and play gigs and i, I felt it was just the the right move for me and also as Columbo was progressing as an organization uh, somebody needed to do the work and there weren't that many of us involved we were all volunteers so it wasn't a 
light bulb goes on type decision. It just kind of evolved over time. Around 1990, I was looking for some new opportunities and I heard that um, the founder, Jimmy Lyons of the Monterey Jazz Festival was going to be retiring. And uh, I threw my hat in the ring and it worked out very nicely that they invited me to come on board and also suggested that I could stay with Kowumba as well. And so I really had the good fortune of being able to work in a large festival format with Monterey, which um, is being able to paint on a very big canvas and then still have the, the day-to-day involvement in the music that we have at Kowumba Jazz and hearing artists come up through the ranks. And it's been a very symbiotic relationship. The, the relationships that I've made at Kowumba have transferred over to Monterey and vice versa. I think it's important in, in talking about jazz education as it relates to Kuumbwa as well as uh, the Monterey Jazz Festival. Uh, I know you've been instrumental in making that happen for both organizations, and it, it's a very valiant challenge and goal, uh, I would think. Jazz education is part of the mission statement of both organizations, and that's one of the things that kind of draws the two organizations together is is a, a similar mission, vision, and values outlook and statements. And, you know, we feel that particularly, you know, with the festival or, or even with Kowumba, when you're, when you're producing music in a large format once a year or throughout the year, that, you know, you want to be able to take the artistry that's displayed by the fantastic musicians on our stages and the message that they're delivering and to try and create something more than just the performance itself. And then when it's over, it's over. And it's been important for us in both organizations to engage our community in the value of jazz and what it can bring not only to the community, but also the individuals involved in it. And it's also a good audience development tool because, um, you know, through jazz education, I mean, you know, let's face it, most of the students that are in our programs are probably not going to go on to be professional jazz musicians. But we're hoping that the skills that they acquire, the fun that they have, the relationships that they make and the relationship that they will hopefully make with their instrument is something that will last a lifetime and that they will stay involved in the jazz art form and support it through going to concerts, going to festivals, listening to jazz radio, reading the periodicals, just having jazz be a part of their life and have it maintain its place in the, the pantheon of American culture. Well, I understand that there's also an international connection with the Monterey Jazz Festival. You have a connection to Noto, uh, which is the sister city of your festival. And are you still or have you been through the years uh, staging festivals in Japan? There is a Monterey Jazz Festival in Noto. As, as you correctly mentioned, Noto is, the, is a sister city to Monterey. It's on the city of Nanao and on the Wakura Peninsula uh, in the western part of Japan, on the Sea of Japan side. There's a, a regional festival there that we used to go every year. Now we go every other year. We take one of our, our next generation jazz orchestra, our national high school all-star band, and take them over to Japan for a series of workshops and concerts for a couple of weeks. 
So it's a great community, uh, a, a great cultural exchange program, and a good way of, of community building. And the students get a chance to see what life is like on the road, performing at, at a large festival, performing in small clubs throughout uh, Japan, and also doing homestays with Japanese families. And also, I, I think, which is really great, and that is uh, focusing on the next generation, if I could uh, borrow that word for a moment, only because it's so important to create a legacy for jazz music in the future. And it sounds like you folks are doing this really, really well. Well, we do, with Monterey, we do have our Next Generation Jazz Festival, which this year we had to do virtually. It happened early in the pandemic in March, so we had to really hop to it and create uh, a virtual event, which was a, a, a brand new experience for us. But that festival is really the sister festival to the Monterey Jazz Festival. It it, it happens in the spring, so they, they act kind of like bookends uh, in the year. And we have high school groups, uh, high school, middle school, and colleges participating both in big bands, combos, and vocal ensembles. It, there is a competition aspect to it, but there's also a showcase aspect to it as well. And for the students that are competing, there's a chance for groups to perform at the Monterey Jazz Festival itself. And it really is, is a way that we can spread our message and our brand of the Monterey Jazz Festival out to the rest of the country. And in some cases, the world, because we do have international groups that, that participate. Last year, we had a group from, uh, from Central America. So it's really a fun project when you get a couple of thousand of these students together. We actually go down to middle school, so from middle school to colleges, uh, and you really get a sense of how this music can impact hundreds and hundreds of, of, of young people, and it's exciting, and I've been involved with it now for, for 30 years and never get tired of it. So tell me, I, I know the, the Monterey Jazz Festival has been around since, I believe, 1958, and setting aside the pandemic, how do you characterize how the festival uh, and the organization has grown or, or what is it that uh, has been noted through the years to bring it to the stage that it is today? Well, I think th th there's a couple ways to look at it. One is the festival itself and how, and how the three-day weekend has evolved and grown over the years. When, uh, when I got to the festival, we had uh, three stages, the Jimmy Lyon stage, which is the big outdoor stage, uh, a smaller outdoor stage of about 1,500 seats, which is the garden stage, and then an indoor venue that we call the nightclub. And so now we're up to eight different venues, and we've managed to create an environment there on, on the Monterey Fairgrounds. So when you enter those gates, say on the Friday night of the festival, you're really kind of entering a, a jazz world for the weekend. We've got um, all the different stages going. We've got international jazz stars down to uh, our local student groups playing. And we, we structure our tickets so that, that it's affordable and that uh, anybody who really wants to be involved in the festival can do that. So we've seen tremendous growth for the festival over the years. And organizationally, you'll find that our education programs have grown uh, quite a bit as well. Obviously, with the pandemic now, things have really slowed down and we, and we just haven't had the funds to continue the education programs to the degree that we would like, at least for the short term. Uh, but we're looking at strategic partnerships and ways to, uh, to deal with that so that we can move into the future 
uh, with confidence. We've got a great staff. We have a great board of uh, board of directors, and you know we're going to meet the challenge and use the new technologies that are out there and and uh, available to us to create some new energy and some new ways of doing things. Well, there's there's no question about it, and I think maybe a lot of it certainly is due to your credit of developing this jazz experience uh, for all to enjoy and to experience. But through the the history, uh, I, I'm sure you must have had a lot to contribute to it because as the artistic director, unless you're assembling the right mix and the, the proper approach to the performance and the artists associated with the event, it wouldn't be as, I would think, uh, successful as it has been. Uh, is that a fair characterization? Well, I, I, I hope that it is. You know, my goal is to stay very current with the trends that are happening in the music, to try and program in a way so that we're positioned to be leaders and not followers that we that, that we not only present the jazz stars that people want to see but we're also creating new content we commission new works every year we work on special projects we really work more in a role as a producer as opposed to just a presenter of the music so we uh, i i'm committed to keep our offerings diverse both eth- ethnically and 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 gender wise it's it's really a goal of ours to create this environment that i spoke about early earlier i mean look jazz comes from the heart and soul of of black culture and so we want our programming and our festival to reflect that spirit and to move forward in that kind of space of of progress and good feeling. So let's move forward in time to the present day of 2020. I would imagine... Do do we have to? (laughs) uh, Unfortunately, yes. It's going to be the one year that when it goes away, hopefully it'll never come back. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) But uh, having said that, it must have been heartbreaking for you, the staff, your volunteers, uh, everybody involved with the organization to have to say, we can't do this live this year. What was that uh, I like? think you chose the best word. Yeah, it, it was heartbreaking. Uh, it was heartbreaking for me, for, um, for all, just as you say, our staff, our board, our production crews that come in. It's, it is our time of year right now. This is when we all get together. And this is when we try and, you know, turn that old fairgrounds into a, into a place where magic can, can be created and to realize, well, the pandemic hit in, in March for us. And, you know, by late April, beginning of May, it was clear we were not going to be able to do the festival. So it was very disappointing. Uh, And we quickly realized that we needed to do something to mark the weekend of the festival. So because we also had our education programs going at the same time and decided to do our next generation jazz festival virtually it made sense to see what we could do on a virtual basis during the weekend of the traditional monterey jazz festival but do this as a digital virtual broadcast as you mentioned uh at the top of the top of the show so we quickly rallied around that idea and I just had to get over the fact that I just spent a lot of time and energy programming a festival and I was going to have to set that on the back burner and try and develop a new festival in frankly a format that uh, I had never worked in before. So 
I tried to look at it as a as a professional challenge and uh, see see what I could learn. And we've found some people, uh, mostly younger people, who uh, could could help us with this. And and we started moving forward. What I wanted to do was to try and focus on the groups who you would have seen at this year's live festival if it happened. Mm-hmm. So it became clear to me that a lot of the folks that we're going to be at the festival, we have, we have history with, I mean, let's face it, when you're a festival, the age and size of ours, you've worked with just about everybody out there. So the idea kind of morphed into where we can, let's use uh, past archival performances. And then where we can't with artists who are going to be making their debut at the festival, talk with them about creating some new and exclusive content. So that was essentially how we, how we built out the, the, the roadmap for, for this festival. We decided to make it, obviously, on the weekend of the traditional festival, which this year is September 25, 6, and 7. We decided to do it two hours a day. We didn't want to try and get too much in since basically people were either going to be staring at a screen of some sort. And so we didn't want to make it too long and, and lose people's interest. We wanted to make it at least in this country, you know, in time zones where everybody could enjoy the event. So we decided to make it from five to seven uh, Pacific Standard Time here on the West Coast, which still makes it prime time, eight to 10 o'clock if you're on Eastern Standard Time, or even if you're out in Hawaii, it's a it's a late afternoon show going, going into happy hour. So uh, that seemed to be the right time of day for us. We were going to make this a, a special broadcast where you, it's it's not going to be archived. It's not something you can record and watch later, uh, much like the Monterey Jazz Festival itself. If, if you want to participate, you have to be there during that time. So we were able to put together uh, the two hours each day, focusing on these archival performances, new performances, and really focusing on our educational goals with performances from our Next Generation Jazz Orchestra, which I mentioned earlier is our National High School All-Star Band, and also our new Next Generation Women in Jazz Combo, which is now in its uh, in its second year. We're also showcasing our uh, relationship with Berkeley College of Music through our full tuition uh, Jimmy Lyons scholarship, and also featuring the Berkeley Jazz and Gender Justice Group that will be performing new music. So those groups were all put together virtually. We did put together our big band this year. Gerald Clayton is our new is our new director of the band. He did a fantastic job, and so they recorded virtually all the all the young students in their homes three charts. So we'll we'll be doing a, a tune each day from the Next Generation Jazz Orchestra that's directed by Gerald. Uh, we'll be doing a couple of tunes on Saturday with our Women in Jazz combo and also showcasing the uh, jazz and gender justice group from Berkeley College of Music on Saturday as well. So there'll be the educational goals of the festival will be there and out in force. We also wanted to create an event that was gonna do something for social good and social justice. So we decided to have it be a benefit, the, the broadcast be a benefit and all the proceeds will go to split in thirds to the artists who are participating, because that is one of our our main goals of our organization is to pay jazz artists 
and, and to help provide a living for them, along with the other two thirds going to the national or uh, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. So while you can certainly watch the broadcast for free, if you wish, we will be encouraging you to donate throughout the weekend with all the proceeds going to those three entities. Well, it sounds like you have not only the right mix, but you have the right goal and the right fundraising focus for what it is that you're trying to do. And I think that will gain even further respect for you and all the things that Monterey Jazz Festival does. Uh, it's interesting to note, as you said, that uh, the festival takes place over a three-day period of time from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, however, uh, it, it's it's not something you could uh, watch, uh, let's say, uh, October 1st or October 2nd because it's not being archived. Did I understand that correctly? That's correct. That's correct. It's, it's going to air and then it's in the air. Now, and this will be on your YouTube channel. Yes. Uh, yes, you can subscribe to YouTube or watch it through YouTube or go to our website and access it through our website, which will take you to our YouTube channel. So during the course uh, of the three days, then, you'll be encouraging people to make donations. Are you hopeful or optimistic that that will uh, bring a good return for you? Absolutely. You know, again, we don't have a lot of experience in doing this, so this is a new thing. Um, but we're hoping that um, our audience will understand what we're trying to do and realize the, the challenges that we face, not only as a, as a genre of music, but also throughout the country in, in what's happening right now, and realize that this event can be used for a greater purpose and that their funds will will not just be going to support the programs at the Monterey Jazz Festival, but really will be going to these other three entities. So we think that that creates a powerful message and that we can, through the programming that we've created, we can put together a weekend that is, is much like the Monterey Jazz Festival itself, where there's obviously going to be great music, but you're also going to have the, the chance for uh, to hear young students perform, to hear you know stimulating conversations. During this virtual festival, we'll be doing a conversation with uh, drummer Terry Lynn Carrington in conversation with uh, the political activist uh, Angela Davis and talking about uh, the role of, of gender in jazz. It's a fascinating conversation. This year, we would have uh, had a big program with one of our board members, Clint Eastwood. And one of the things this year is, this year is the 50th anniversary of Clint's directorial debut from the movie Play Misty for Me, yes. of which several scenes were filmed at the Monterey Jazz Festival in 1970. So I was able to have a conversation with Clint uh, talking about uh, not only specifically play Misty for me in the filming of that, but also just the role that film uh, jazz plays in his films. So these are all kind of, they're not sidebar activities, but, but they are, it's content beyond just performing music itself that helps put this great music in a larger social context. So when you do this, there is, if I understand correctly, uh, under safe and social distancing type of methods, uh, there are going to be some uh, local watch parties as well in Monterey? 
Yes, we will. We one of our hotel partners, Inns of Monterey, uh, has a property in downtown Monterey, uh, Casa Munras, a hotel and spa. They've got a small a patio that will be socially distanced. Uh, it's only it's less than fifty people that they can hold, but they will have screens set up, uh, a good stereo sound system. Uh, again, as I say, socially distanced with all the protocols uh, in place so that people can come in for the three days and watch the festival. That, that I think, will be really fun. That, that's where I will be throughout the weekend. We'll also be at the Monterey Jazz Festival Fairgrounds, at the Monterey Fairgrounds itself, where uh, in the arena where usually people would be gathering for uh, the big concerts, uh, it'll be like a drive-in movie. Uh, cars will be coming in and parked and they will be able to watch the virtual broadcast. And then once that's over, they'll have a chance to um, uh, see Play Misty for me, which will be interesting because it's still right in the same spot that 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 movie was filmed 50 years ago and on the same stage. So there's a variety variety of activities like that throughout Monterey and we hope and encourage people where they feel that it is safe and and that they have the desire uh, to do it to you know create their own be creative and create their own environments uh, to enjoy this uh, broadcast throughout the weekend. Well I know I'll be watching Uh, I just wish I could have been in one of those cars at the fairgrounds uh, to uh, see those proceedings Uh, that's extremely impressive and creative. So my hat's off to you for doing something like that. And, you know, it's making lemonade and doing it in the right way to uh, preserve the history, the tradition, and all the things that are the Monterey Jazz Festival. I agree, Alan. And it's not, you know, like I say, we couldn't just let the weekend pass without uh, making a statement. And I, th- and I see that with all of my colleagues throughout the, um, throughout the jazz world is that everybody is finding ways to be creative. Uh, you know, we see it with all our, I'm involved in a international jazz festivals organization. I'm involved with a Western regional states consortium of jazz organizations. And and we just met this week, both organizations just coincidentally met this week on Zoom. And to hear what everybody is doing in their own communities. And every community is different for the folks that are in the big cities like San Francisco or New York City. And there's some large organizations there. They can do some really incredible things. Although oftentimes it's the folks in the really small communities, whether it be uh, up in Humboldt County or something like that, that are that are a- able to make a big difference in their communities with very few resources. And it's impressive to just see the brain power at work and see the commitment and passion that everybody has to figure out ways to move the music forward. And that's not even counting the artists themselves and the amazing things that they have done with their live streaming techniques and uh, doing concerts from home and, and, you know, finding successful ways to even do a few safe live events. So uh, it's a fascinating time. It's not something I would have wished for any of us, but I see that people are, the resiliency of the human spirit is really coming through. And that's important. Uh, And also on a fun note, uh, and uh, speaking of creativity, uh, I also understand you're going to do a live cooking demonstration with a vocalist. Yeah, as as I had mentioned, there are a, a couple of groups 
who would have been participating in the festival this year, who where this would have been their festival debut, two, two artists in particular, the Mexican artist Leela Downs, who lives in Oaxaca, Mexico. She's down there now. Her band is actually up here in the States. So in talking to her, there really wasn't a way for her to create some new music for us. So what she did was she has a passion for food and for cooking. And of course, for anybody that's been to the Monterey Jazz Festival, they know that food is a huge part of the weekend. We have some amazing, amazing array of food available during the festival. So uh, Leela came up with the idea of doing a cooking demonstration in her kitchen. So she's a, she invites us virtually into her home, into her kitchen, and she makes salsa for us using traditional Oaxacan chilies. It's really fun. It's, it's only three or four minutes long, but it's really a nice interlude. And it's kind of like being at the festival itself where people take a break to go out and sample the different wares that are out there on the grounds. Another group is Our Native Daughters that features Rhiannon Giddens and Layla McCalla, who was at the festival last year. They uh, were going to be performing this year under the banner of Our Native Daughters doing their second uh, national tour. Again, this would have been their first time at Monterey. So what they did was they recorded a brand new song virtually, obviously, from their living rooms and back porches and sent it to us. So we'll have so that's where we'll have some additional new content. The same with our artist in residence this year, who's a great young pianist, Christian Sands. He recorded a solo piano piece from his home in Stamford, Connecticut. And the aforementioned Gerald Clayton, who's our new director of the Next Generation Jazz Orchestra, uh, did a live recording in a studio, everybody socially distanced, with uh, three tunes that we will be sharing with you that also features Anthony Wilson on guitar. So you'll see a, a really great mix of archival festival performances along with new music that was recorded expressly for this virtual festival. Well, you know, in using the cooking metaphor as we uh, close out our conversation, it sounds to me like you have all the ingredients to cook up the best possible food for the soul, the heart, the mind, and the ears, and the eyes. Alan, we could use you in our marketing department. That's great. That's, uh, <laughs> That's a beautiful Scott. way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, and it's only because I'm, I'm very passionate about this music and the things that people like yourself and everyone connected with the festival do. It's such an important aspect of all of our lives to have music enrich us in so many ways. And I, I thank you for your time today to talk about this. Well, Alan, I, I appreciate the invitation and the chance to share with your audience a little bit of, of what we're doing. And uh, in closing, it's just we're really all doing this in, in service to the music and the fantastic artists that perform this music and, and, and write this music. And while we'll have fun with the virtual festival, I really look forward to the day when we can be back in a venue, whether it be indoors and outdoor or outdoors, experiencing live music again with all the artists that we love to hear. But, you know, until that time, we're going to keep the spirit alive and going just like everybody is around the country. So I uh, appreciate all the good work that you're doing and the work that the folks in your part of the world are participating in. And let's hope that together we, we all get to the other side of this and uh, we'll look back on these days as a very interesting time in our history. 
So in the meantime, we'll all share the experience together, hopefully by way of the uh, Monterey Jazz Festival YouTube station, September 25th, 26th, and 27th. And uh, we'll keep the tradition, the legacy, and the commitment to wonderful music alive for all of us. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you, Tim, and all the best to you and the staff, and uh, congratulations to everyone in advance for all of the efforts that you've put together for this wonderful event. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz, featuring Tim Jackson, the Artistic Director of the Monterey Jazz Festival. Our thanks to Ben Sidron for our theme song, Mr. P's Shuffle. Please join us for our next episode featuring a conversation about his new release, Brew Ma, with pianist, arranger, producer, and educator, Antonio Adolfo. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the app you used to listen to us. We have new podcasts every Wednesday. You may subscribe for free. We are now heard on all top platforms as well as Facebook and our website, allthatsjazz.net.